Blog Talk Radio. to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created just to focus on the tenet that Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. And all faiths are welcome. And I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of my Ryby Study Bible. You can use any Bible you wish, of course. And um, in 
gratitude for many ongoing spiritual experiences. Uh, we just have ongoing Bible readings and also read from selected materials. I'm just focused on being just myself and accept you as you are and just carry the message given to me. And uh, let's start out our, our Sunday with our, our best prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our daily forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And we pray for all Christians being persecuted worldwide. Their freedoms to worship and lives are in great jeopardy. And we pray for all those suffering from violence here and then abroad. We pray for those who are sick in mind and body and for those who are lonely and uncomforted. Please, God, forgive us our sins. We pray for those who are suffering from domestic violence in their own homes, and we also pray to be released and freed from addiction of all kinds. Please, God, send your Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect lives that are taken for distorted and evil reasons, and we believe that they become martyrs. And have your angels watch over everybody. Our prayers go out to all those who suffer the world, including the animals who can't speak for themselves. We also pray for justice and wisdom for our president and the rest of our policymakers. They may have many decisions to make, and we are praying for all countries for problems, and there are problems of suffering all over the world, and we pray for them to everybody to get the wisdom and get the blessing of God and try to change. Uh, we thank you, God, for everything you have given us. And we ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care. And we want to bless everybody and their families. And remember, everybody's in our prayers. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, I've been out a couple of weeks. I, I've had this terrible flu. And um, I want to thank all my well-wisher friends and um, my daughter for helping me. And uh, I just have been sick for two weeks, and I apologize for not being here on the air. It's the first time I hadn't been on air and doing our Bible study since I started. So uh, get your Bible ready because we're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 7 today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, go to www.biblegateway.com or my favorite, www.biblia.com for uh, Bible concordance and uh all the stuff you need there to do the Bible study. Anyway, the opening music was a Save vocal group from my favorite CD, Native Angels by Save. And if you want to order a copy, just contact them, Save.org. And they're on Facebook, and they also do live shows. And you can listen to them on YouTube, and they also have CD on Amazon. And let's see, we do have a few birthdays today. And uh, I wish everybody a happy and blessed birthday. And... Uh, also for my friends Autumn Labard, Brett Miller, Yanni Corbatis, and Stephanie Pina McPhail. I want to wish you every happy blessing and have a very happy day. And <clears throat> uh, just so if you want me to wish anybody a happy anniversary or birthday, just let me know. Just give me a message. Take the message me on Facebook uh, and uh, just contact me there. So uh, if you ever if you have a special prayer request or positive intention or anything like that, 
You can also call the number this morning, 619-924-9744. And, okay, now we're going to be into, so get your Bibles ready, uh, reading Hebrews chapter 7. And uh, it's going to be about the order of the Melchizedek. Okay, again, the author goes back to the idea that Jesus, as a Jewish high priest, specifically a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In case you're not up on your obscure Bible figures, the reference to a guy who appears briefly in Genesis to bless Abraham. He also mentioned one line of Psalms. Uh, and why is this Melchizedek so important? Well, the author explains that Melchizedek is a guy whose name means king of righteousness or king of peace. He was never born and he never died. But on the plus side, that means he got to stay a priest forever. In Leviticus, God appointed the descendants of Jacob's son Levi as a new priest of his tabernacle. And the people were supposed to tithe to them, you know, pay 10% of their earnings. In Genesis, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and Abraham gave him 10% of those monies. Jewish law came down while the Levite priests were in power, but that law didn't do anything to stop sin, did it? In fact, says Hebrews, Psalm 110 points out that there would be another high priest coming, one that is just like Melchizedek, one who wasn't part of the Levite's tribe at all, and one who could fix everything. Does it sound like anybody we might know? Now, Jesus wasn't a Levite. He was an ancestor of Jacob's son, Judah, just like King David. No one from Judah's tribe has ever served as a high priest. But the author knows that the high priest that God appoints is going to be just like Melchizedek. He's not going to pay come by bloodlines, but through the power of God himself. See, said the author, Jewish law wasn't perfect, but Jesus is perfect, and he's come to bring the world a new and better covenant with God. He won't be like the old priests either who are always dying off and changing. to hold on to his position forever, which means anyone who comes to him can be saved any time. Jesus also never sinned, so he doesn't have to offer sacrifices for his own bad deeds like human high priests. He doesn't have to keep burning rams and goats at the altar for everybody because he made himself into a sacrifice by dying on a cross. There, his work was done. Okay, let's get on to reading the chapter. <clears throat> chapter 7. In Hebrew. <clears throat> it's in Hebrew. Chapter 7. For this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth of all of the spoils, which is first of all by translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then also King of Salem, which is King of Peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. And now the next part of this is the preeminence of the Melchizedek priesthood. Four. Now observe how great how great this man who was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choicest spoils, and to those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commanded in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. 
And now we're on verse 6. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes. But in the case one receives them, of one it is witness that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received them, for he who is still in the loins of his father when Achelzadek met him. And now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, on the basis of it, the people received the law, and that what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Achelzadek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron. And for when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there's a place of change also in law. Also, for the one concerning whom these things were spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord has descended from Judah, a tribe whose reference to which Moses spoke nothing to the concerning priests. And this is and this is clear still if other priests arise according to the likeness of Melchizedek. Who has become such not on the basis of law of physical requirement, but according to the power of the indestructible life? For is it tested of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. 19, for the law to make, to made, excuse me, 19, for the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near God. And then 20, inasmuch as it is not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he was an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord was sworn, has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And now we're up to 22. So much of the, um, the more that Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests, on the other hand, existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from the continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. And then, therefore, he is able to also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he has always lived to make intercession for them. And for it is fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Who does not need daily who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this is what he did once for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came from the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Wow, powerful. Okay, let's go back and read the notes. And now Chesedek is clearly a type of Christ. Uh, everything known about him from the Old Testament is found in Genesis and in Psalm. He was a great king priest. It is to his order of priesthood that Christ belongs. And then 7.3, the note is, without father. This does not mean that Melchizedek had no parents or no, he was not 
born or did not die, but only that the scriptures contain no record of these events so that he might be perfectly likened to Christ. And then it says, I give a tenth. By taking the role of the one who tithes, the one who received the blessing, Abraham, to whom God gave the promises, doubly acknowledged his inferiority to Melchizedek. And then uh, there's more proof on 7.6. The proof that Melchizedekian priesthood and Christ is superior to the Aaronic or Levitical priesthood is that Levi's great-grandfather Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek and that Levi, though unborn, was involved. The mysteries of his Bible. In this case, it refers to the Levitical priests and uh, that case refers to Melchizedek and his priesthood, and he lived on. Nowhere on record is it said that Melchizedek lost his priestly office by death. In contrast to the, Levit- the Levitical priests who died a uh, generation of after generation in the loins, Abraham, the ancestor, is seen as continuing with himself, himself is a descendant, which is true, and it's of Levi and certainly of Adam and the human race. Another proof that Christ is superior to the law and its priesthood is the law that cannot give the people perfection, complete communion with God, and the sacrificial Levitical system never achieved its aim. And then a chance, a change in the priesthood from Levitical to Christ as Melchizedek priest requires an end of the Mosaic law. For Paul's different but non-conflicting argument on the abrogation of the Mosaic Law. And then, uh, since our Lord came from the non-priestly tribe of Judah, he could not have served as priest without being another order of priests, such as the Melchizedekians. But he's long words, I don't know if I can get it or not, so excuse me. Uh, and then it's talking about uh, um, 7, 18 through 19, a former commandment, the Mosaic Law had to be set aside. A better hope for effecting full and final removal of sin, sin was introduced, along with a new way of access to God. And the appointment of the Melchizedek was accompanied by an oath, not so the case of Levitical priests. And then a better covenant is our new covenant. And for the last couple of the notes, it's uh, forever, completely, Luke 3, 13.11, the only other place this phrase is used, and permanently. So our Lord, being perfect, did not need to offer sacrifices for himself. Instead, he offered himself for our sins once and for all. So that's why we're Christians. We can believe in this and our faith that Christ died for our sins, and that's forever. He doesn't have to do it over and over again. He did it once, and we accept that, and that's part of our creed. And uh, I feel very blessed by that reading. And I hope I'm speaking clear enough that everybody can hear me. And I appreciate you turning in and also for my people that listen in the archives. I love you very much and I appreciate you so much. And we have about 10 minutes, so let me uh, find a little story in our, our faithful guidepost. Let's see. Okay, so let me see here. Okay, we found a, a, a story. 
It's called Will You Forgive Me by Victoria Baker, Huntington, West Virginia. I was nervous, I was nervous the day we drove from my home to the Work Relief Center in Charleston, West Virginia. It's not too late to change your mind, my husband Don said. He hadn't wanted to come to come and believe, and believe I should meet the man whose image had haunted me for a dozen years. He had tried to dissuade me from the moment I mentioned the visit, but I was resolute. If I was going to live, truly live, I had to see James Winsett again face-to-face. Twelve years earlier on a wintry evening in 1982, I was parking my car near Don's apartment in Huntington, Southside. Back then, Don was my fiancé, and he invited me over for dinner. I closed the car door and took a few steps, and abruptly somebody grabbed me, pinned my hands behind my back, and threw me to the icy pavement. I looked up and saw a pair of wild, drug-crazed eyes. The man yanked on my hair and punched my face, and I tried to scream, but he clamped his hand over my bloody mouth, silencing me, angry, frightened. I bit his hand, and he howled in pain. Give me your purse, he snarled. I flung it at him, scared for my life. He stuffed it inside his jacket and ran, leaving me bruised and bleeding on the deserted street. I dragged myself to Don's apartment, finding some solace in the knowledge that I could identify the man who had assaulted me. By the time I married six months later, the bruises and wounds had healed, and James Winsett, my attacker, had been given a life sentence. But even with him behind bars, I was haunted by fears. I still trembled at the mention of his name. Once in the supermarket, I thought I saw him, and I abandoned my half-filled cart in the middle of the aisle, hurrying out to the store, of the store in panic. Another time, I stopped my car at a crosswalk when a man who looked like him walked by. I felt a surge of anger, and for a split second, considered gunning the engine and hitting the, the innocent stranger. I lived in terror for myself, and after Don, I had children for our family. I locked all car doors and even double bolted the front door in our safe neighborhood. Four years after the attack, I was still fighting James Winslet. Other graver fears intruded into my life, but they could not erase that one primer fear of the, that relieved me of the image of those drug-crazed eyes. Nothing terrified me more, not even learning in 1986 I had cancer. The tumor was successfully removed, but the cancer came back. And I had more operations and radiation therapy, but the malignancy returned, ever threatening. By 1993, I had spread to my lungs, and I was told that I had less than 50% chance of living five more years. Around the same time, I received word that James Winslet was up for parole, I told Don. Do everything you can to make sure he stays in prison. In April, I went to Ohio State University Medical Center in Columbus for uh, intensive radiation therapy and requiring a three-day stay at the isolated cell-like room. While there, I lay on my bed saying my prayers for my health. I saw the radiation as a light spreading through my body. By his stripes, we were healed, I repeated. And I imagined every part of my body touched by the healing blood of Christ. But I never offered any prayers for the anger and the fear that I also riddled my body. I held on to my hatred of the man in another another kind of cell. That summer, I was well enough to go with my two eldest sons to church camp. I wanted to savor the time I had left with them. One evening at campfire, I closed my eyes and listened to the songs that took me back to my girlhood when I was trusting and carefree. Oh, how I love Jesus. He sang, and the words became my prayer. 
this is the last thing I remembered before I collapsed. I see the sky beyond the blue, out of reach of the stars. I see my younger brother, Rene. He died at 12, but here he's grown up. He smiles at me and sings. My mother's there, too. The last time I saw her, her face and body showed the ravages of cancer, but now she's healthy and happy again. This is heaven, I hear the angels sing. A music more glorious than any I had ever heard before. I am so close to the angels I sing with them. Oh, how I love Jesus. Lying on the ground, I feel the hand of God touch in the pit of my stomach and move up to my chest and neck with an instant heat. I hear God speak. Be still, he says. Now say, I am healed. I repeated these words. I am healed. I am healed. And then I got up and joined the dance. When I opened my eyes, I was still on the ground, and a friend was standing over me, and I told her the good news. I've seen heaven. I hadn't been praying for for healing. I had just been concentrating on God, and suddenly I seen his, his realm. The door was open to me, and I had seen beyond. The first concrete evidence of my physical healing came in the fall when I went back to the OSU Medical Center to have my blood tested. My physician, Dr. Ernest Mezzer-Ferry, was looking for a marker to see if cancer was present. The last time he had run the test, I had a marker count of around 100. This time, it was close to five, nearly normal. I couldn't believe it. Dr. Mezafari said, I made the lab run the test twice just to be sure that I hadn't made any mistake. For me, the new year of 1994 felt like the beginning of a new life. I could look ahead with a future and better expectations, but in February, when James Whitsleet came up for parole again, I started to revert to my old familiar feeling, fear. I had been so grateful for my healing and so happy. I had trusted God so completely that I almost forgotten my attacker, but now the man was back in my thoughts, spoiling my life. One night at dinner, I announced, I want to see James Whitsleet. My husband nearly dropped his fork. You can't, he said. I won't let that man hurt you again. Well, for as long as I harbor anger against him, I'm hurting myself, I explained. If I trust God with my health, I have to trust God with this, and I don't think I'll be completely well until I see James in person. Don looked down at his plate, thinking, then I'm coming with you, he said. After the call to the parole officer and the work release program in Charleston, uh, James agreed to see me, but the woman in charge was deeply suspicious of my motive. If you attempt to intimidate him or retry him, she said, the visit will be terminated. We went to an office and waited. When the door opened and in walked him, a thin man wearing a teal sports coat, black trousers, and shiny shoes. How different he was from the person I saw in my nightmares. He looked smaller, older, and a little frightened. James, I said, you look nice. Self-conscious, he straightened his shirt collar and sat down across from us. Thank you, he said softly. Don squeezed my hand. I'm not sure what more I was going to say. I leaned forward and looked James in the eye and asked, Will you forgive me? James looked at Don and then back at me. I tried to convince myself I was justified in my anger with you, I said, but I probably made me sick inside. James listened while I told him about my cancer and the miracle of my cure. I could already see another miracle was taking place in that room. It was as though the angels were back and with me, showing me how to make my heaven here on earth. James wanted to tell me more about himself, who he was before the drug and alcohol took his life. 
He pulled the two crumpled newspaper clippings from his pocket and handed them to me. I read about a star high school athlete destined for a great future and an all-American baseball player who was in college cross scholarship offered. Kids used to ask me for my autograph, James said, and then he fumbled for words. I'm sorry I hurt you and your family. We were both silent for a while, and then James said, May I ask you something? Will God hear my prayers? Absolutely. I believe that God can change you and has changed you. He sure changed me. My anger and fear were gone, and I was free. The next day, I went to a bookstore and bought him a Bible. I had James Winslet inscribed in gold into the cover and mailed it to him with highlighters and the note reading, Mark, whatever speaks to you, make it personal. That was two years ago. Today, James is out of prison. He's dating a religious woman. It's a good job at a Charleston restaurant. Most important, James has become a... We talk on the phone every few weeks, and we exchange cards and letters. He's even had dinner at my home and traded sports stories with my son. It's how deep my healing has been. Nothing less than the power of God and his angels could accomplish this. Nothing is side of heaven that made me whole. I want to ask in Jesus' name for we accept this story into our hearts. May we all pray for healing. Now for our last prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I want to thank you all for tuning in, and God bless you very much, and I love you. God bless you. Bye-bye.